Hi, and welcome to Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. In this podcast series, we ask experts in their field for their views, thoughts, and advice on topics ranging from technology and data science to organizational culture and psychology. Roll intro. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the topic of culture and technology, discussing the impacts and opportunities of hybrid and flexible working, how technology shapes organisational culture, and why intentionality matters more than ever before. Joining Benjamin Ellis is Richard Mabry, the Managing Director of Attitude Solutions. With a rich and varied career in the corporate space, Richard offers insights into common patterns and mistakes hindering workplace culture key approaches to improve it, and how purpose should inform our priorities. Let's dive in. So I'm joined today by Richard Mabry. So I'm very excited for having this conversation, a long overdue one, uh, but we've got you here and we're actually in the environment of Login Lounge in Camberley today. So a little bit of a different sound to the room and you can uh, kind of imagine a very swish setup around us with um, some great looking furniture and quite a um, co-working vibe to the space. So Richard, I should get you to introduce yourself for, for the listeners. Okay, thank you. Uh, lovely to be sharing some time with you, Benjamin. Always a joy. Um, I'm Richard, Richard Mabry, and I have a, a training business called Attitude Solutions. And really, we're about helping our clients, people to manage ridiculous workloads, conflicting priorities, imminent constant deadlines and manage all that stuff a little bit easier every day. So that's the that's the thrust of our main training programs. That sounds like a very familiar work environment for um, for a, a lot of our customers and a lot of the people that we work with. Um, a frequent topic today, and I have to have to be frank, I feel like it's almost overdone, um, is a lot of people talking about hybrid work. Um, and yeah, I, I remember, and I'm showing my age a bit, unfortunately, something like 30 years ago when I was working in IT, setting up our first remote worker. So it's not new news, remote work. But that said, the hybrid work, there are some things that are a little bit different there. So what, what do people generally mean when they talk about hybrid work or what should they mean? Maybe? Right. Well, that's, that's a really, really good question. And we haven't got time to go into that deeply. However... I, I recall um, a number of transitions, the transition from telex when I was working in Nairobi and um, doing insurance risks uh, into Lloyd's of London, uh, essentially all day, every day. We were doing that by telex and, um, you know, eventually that migrated into emails, uh, but you couldn't do emails into uh, third parties so easily. Uh, so I think there's always been transition faxes. There's always been transitions. I think what differentiates where we are now, uh, there's a couple of things. One is uh, this is a change that's been enforced upon us very, very suddenly and at scale. So um, in the past, there was a, there was a, a time of uh, reorientation. Um, if we recall when hybrid first became a word or a thing, it was literally people having to go overnight to work from home 
and everything changed. And I think that's the big difference. So it's also compounded, I think, by the fact that most of the people who were sent home to do work probably felt that their sanctuary was invaded rather than they were doing some work from home and none of them signed up to that job. They all signed up to go into the office and now they're working from home in not ideal circumstances. So I think the suddenness and the scale differentiate the hybrid environment from every other work change and evolution that we've seen over time. And without getting too semantic about <laughs> this stuff, um, I, I'm, not, I'm, not entirely, I'm not entirely happy with the word hybrid because we're still dealing with people and it's about um, how, we, how we work. I, I'm a big fan of um, calling it really um, flexible first working. So um, some of the people I think who are making real differences in this new, new world are people who've um, embraced for their organisation Elements like flexible first, you know, these are your results. These are what we expect. But you work any way you want, so long as it works for everyone else. And I think um, there's, there's one organisation who've created uh, an ethos around this, and it is your day, your way. So I think organisations who do that sort of are, are winning, rather than the ones who say, we're in this new world. You don't have to come into the office all the time, but you must be in on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. I don't think that's hybrid. I think that is just um, an extension of flexible working. And for those of us who might be a little bit older, flexi time. <laughs> oh, well, there's lots of things that some people have to go and Google and look at. I think I have to go and uh, Google at Telex. I, it is amazing how fast that transition was and it's easy to forget that when we take kind of life on teams etc for normal and I, I vividly remember uh, with one of the organizations we worked with they were they had a three-year transition plan that they had just started on for um, moving to remote working for their employees and they enacted that three-year plan uh, in in effectively about 18 hours um, in terms of you know, literally dri the IT team driving around, uh, taking laptops to people and setting people up uh, mm. at, at home. Mm. Um, incredibly sudden change and, and it happened for everybody at the same time, which is not the normal pattern for a no. transition program in an organisation. And I think now there are, there are lots and lots of different aspects. It's, it, you're very right in terms of you know, sometimes people talk about hybrid, meaning some of the people in the office and some people are not, and they're very specifically the idea of some people joining my speakerphone and some not. Mm. Other people are talking about working patterns. It's a term that's very overloaded in what it means, but it's interesting to focus in on that bit that I think we would put in the bucket of autonomy, um, what choice do employees have over, over stuff in terms of how they work and when they work. Mm. And that's, I think, a real challenge for managers as well mm. um, because the, you know, there's a history of managing people by seeing them mm. um, and the, um, the illusion that, that things are controlled and performance management is managed because you can see somebody. That goes away when you, when you can't see people face-to-face -face. Um, and that forces that shift, like you say, to, to kind of focus on results mm. and outputs and 
yeah, that's when the rubber hits the road, I, mm. I guess. I mean, how, how are organizations adapting to that and what are the, the main challenges that you see that people are finding in that transition? Um, some of the... I'm not sure that organizations um, are, have got it right. Uh, even the ones who've got it right haven't got it right. So by that, by that I mean, you know, um, you, you might have heard me mention this before, Benjamin, but I think that if we accept that we're all in a Petri dish at the moment, I mean, this is a, this is a two-year laboratory exercise, and um, we, haven't, we haven't yet got to a point where something is 100% right, and even if it was, it wouldn't be right for every organisation. Um, I think that um, there's real challenges around how we work together in this hybrid world. Um, there are real challenges around how we do the nurture and, um, and the people caring side of things and the development side of things versus the operational side of things. Uh, I think there's a, there's a real challenge around the, um, what I call the two worlds of work, the operational world and the project world. Um, typically people who are working on projects would be probably sort of more sort of working together and they could bounce ideas of each other pretty easily within an office environment or whatever. Um, and I think that's what's happening now is you get these people who are working sometimes in the office, sometimes at home and or somewhere else, like in a wonderful co-working space like uh, Login Business Lounge. Uh, and it's too easy to get the operational mode and the project mode mixed up. So, and what I'm seeing is that a lot of people um, are op operating within a project world. So they, they bring an, an operational imperative to the project world as opposed to a project imperative and a project mindset to the project world. So I think, and, and because they're not totally connected with everybody, there's that sort of disconnect. So I think uh, that projects are getting um, just a little bit more difficult to manage unless you do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely hearing that as a, a pattern and again definitely for some organizations and some roles even explicitly people feeling quite disconnected from things and it's, it's very easy for that to happen uh, we we've got one uh hack that we borrowed from um from one of the companies that we work with about having an open call. So just actually calling somebody who's on the project, not as a meeting, but just having an open channel and, and working. My, my kids call it body doubling. It's this idea of working with somebody who's working just to remind you what you're doing, yeah. but also just that sense of connection and being able to see when they're interruptible and go, oh, hey, you know, was this happening and did we need to have this happen? And recreating the office environment. Obviously you can't necessarily do that at scale, but it's interesting for, for us as a business where we've always been remote, actually there was still a shift with the transition because there's a difference between you don't work together by default and you can't work together. And it really highlighted for us the role of that connection and how much you need that as a, yeah. as a member of a team or a project team. Exactly. And I think, um, I think that's, that's, that's an element, that's an example, yeah. that's an artefact of... Um, what I call culturalizing our technology, how we, how we can, because we are, and probably going to continue having this 
flexible first, uh, mobile first, internet speed of business first type environment that we're working within, I think uh, it's important that businesses and people within businesses find their way together to work with all those constraints and freedoms, if you will, um, and still be able to produce the results that they're, you know, they're there to, to produce. So an, an open channel um, and everybody understanding that that's available and that it can be used to really good effect, especially if you're in um, what Cal Newport called sort of deep work or deep collaborative work, um, you know, that's a cool thing to do. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand what that is. They don't understand that it's available. So, so one of the things that, that, I, that I sort of uh, try to get my, my clients, people to understand is that, you know, wh whatever you do, don't be a default driver. And unfortunately, unfortunately, with software, most people are default drivers. Um, most people use email the way they used email 20 years ago. Not the people at the cutting edge, because they've moved on or they've changed behaviours. But a lot of people haven't changed the way they interrogate their inbox and the way they deal with their inbox since they first got email. Loads of people still file emails, for example. I mean, why would, why, would, why would you file an email into a folder when we live in a search age? But people do. But it's so comforting <laughs> to just sort my emails into neat <laughs> folders. And, and all. Well, I'm, I, there's a, a whole set of things that I'm going to um, drill into there, but I'm going to take us back to this. You used that, this word culturalizing. Yeah. And we, we are in the age of buzzwords. So I'm going to get you to explain that one a little bit because I think you, you gave some textures to what that is. But what, what's this culturalizing technology? What does okay, that mean? So, so I, I started thinking about. Uh, about this, how we use technology, and as I say, don't be a default driver, um, and how we use technology to sort of really migrate from that me to we type philosophy, which is so important when we're collaborating. And so it, it kicked in for me a good few years ago when somebody said to me in a really great company, I mean, people would die to work for it, good company uh, in the technology sector and um, this particular person who ran um, a, a team a, across EMEA so pretty, se pretty senior and this person said that you know they've got a great company culture and then followed that by the but word <laughs> and and the but word was we've got a great culture but our email culture stinks and at that moment I I said if your email culture stinks, and that's the way people communicate back in that day, uh, internally, then you haven't got a great culture. Or if you have, the culture's con constantly been undermined and, um, and, uh, and compromised by the email culture that everybody has to live and work within. So when I talk about culturalizing technology, I'm talking about how can we all use the technology that we've got to support and reinforce our culture rather than be thinking of it as something separate. So, um, you know, having an open channel and having that available, you, even something as simple as using our status in Microsoft Teams more, more cleverly. 
Is that a word more cleverly? It but is now. <laughs> it is now. So, so, so being a bit smarter about how we, how we use that technology to support, um, to support the culture of the, of the organisation and not to be thinking of it as something separate. And that, of course, then means that you start asking a lot of different questions. And you know, questions like, if we've got, say, for example, Microsoft 365, you know, why are we still using third-party apps when there's probably something within Microsoft 365 that would work, or we can get an add-in that would work better within that environment than the app that um, the marketing team happened to love, but it doesn't link in to anywhere else. So, so culturalizing technology for me is about using technology to support the culture of the business, creating um, a set of constructs around how we do things here because culture is only how we do things here so using the technology to to sort of support that how we do things here and um and and then really streamlining that technology so it's not you know i want to use monday.com because i like monday.com and my team have grown to like monday.com other apps are available but you know not not just saying, okay, that's what we're going to do, because that might not be the, the way the company culture can be best supported. Maybe the company culture can be best supported through another app or through integrating something else into, you know, your mandated environment. And it's, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the founding ideas of Social Optic was based on the idea that you could use technology and introduce the technology to shift and, and shape an organisation's culture um, and, and now we also use the technology to, to measure the, the culture or understand it. Now it's very much most company cultures are shaped by the technology they have adopted. And whilst we used to maybe choose a piece of software to support the processes of the business, particularly now in the world of you know, software as a service and very pervasive software, a lot of organisations, processes and culture are a result of the software platforms they've adopted to your default driver thing at an organizational level that's become the way they do things not through a conscious choice that this is the right way for the business mm. it's just been enforced on them that that's that's how it works mm. and the culture has become an artifact of particular features of the communications technology that they use which is probably not what the business leaders actually intentionally want no and that 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 that's a pretty natural evolution i mean and it might not be in that, that is, is that technology driving the culture or should it be um, the, the culture sort of um, the culture driving how the technology is used? And I would argue that, you know, it's the culture is the most important thing in any firm, I think. Um, it, it's a key differentiator. It sets the tone. It sets the ethos. It sets the purpose of the business. It sets a whole part of things. And it's it's really important i think it's really important that that culture is nurtured and, and preserved and, and and expressed through the technology um, and through the best use of the technology and and not just have it as something separate where we can say um we've got a great culture here but our behavior and teams meetings just it's the same as whether the meeting is a, a meeting in in a room or a meeting over uh, some some software as a service uh, or an app or Microsoft Teams. If the meeting culture isn't good, then the overall culture is compromised. <laughs> it's not a separate thing. Yeah. 
says me back, right? One of my most frequently used quotes, which is Malcolm Muggeridge, which is all new news is old news happening to new people. There's a lot of these problems are problems that were always there or people have experienced before, but now they're very much accented by the technology and we become more conscious of them. And interestingly, one of the things you touched on there, the fact that you know, there is company culture, but there are company cultures mm. and the marketing team might operate differently. Um, the sales team might operate differently. Mm. And now it is more evident that you've got these different subcultures and, and where you want to align those or help people work together. One of the ones that sticks in my mind from the last few years that uh, became a bit of a, um, a talking point or point of amusement uh, in our organisation uh, was being, being able to uh, walk past somebody's desk when you could do such things. And you could tell what department's call it was. Because if you saw a bunch of circles with initials in, you know, all the cameras off, that was, was a call with the IT team. If, if it was, uh, you know, all cameras off and there's this great background, it was like it was a call with the marketing team. And there's a bit of a stereotype there, but it was so true yeah, yeah. that there were these, these different accepted practices that although the tool was shaping the culture, there is a thing the other way around where you can make conscious choices or unconscious choices about how different teams even use the same tool. Yeah that led to actually quite incompatible working times. Because yeah. when, when the marketing team had a call with the, the tech team, they felt a little bit alienated. Why, why have people got the cameras off? What have they got to hide? Yeah. Conversely, the tech team felt quite threatened about, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to put my camera on and people see where I live and see my, my stuff. I, you, know, you stay in your, your space, thank you very much. Yeah. And, and, and that is compounded. This is, this, this is why I think culturalising technology is so important, because that's compounded by the separations that we have. That's compounded because, you know, individuals are now largely working from a cafe, a co-working space or home, as well as the office. And so you, you can't make that automatic assumption when you walk through a, a, a department on an office floor. You know, it's, you are now separated from it, but you're still making evaluations. And um, where you're separated, those other links that link you sort of emotionally, intellectually, commercially into the business are not there. What you have is, is your screens and that's it, you know? So, so I, think, I think it's even more important. I, I, so, so things like with, with, um, with this sort of culturalizing um, technology, one of the things I, I talk about is intentional visibility, not just being visible but when you are being visible, you're, you're intentionally visible. So if you're in a nurturing, sort of coaching, sort of supporting role with your people or within your peer group, then, you know, that's an intentional thing and you've got to be very, very uh, separate about how you deal with that rather than uh, an operational thing or a, or a management thing. Um, and, yeah, it's about intention. And, and you won't be surprised. I mean, it, for me, it all comes back to purpose and priorities, right? Everything comes back to purpose and priorities. So we're, we're intentional about the thing we're doing and, the visib and being intentionally visible because there's people still haven't met their new boss. <laughs> I find it amazing that people have been onboarded and haven't actually physically met their new boss. Now, in some companies... I mean, you know some of the companies I've worked with in the past. But in some companies, your boss is speaking English as a third language and they're based in Milan. 
that's fine because that sort of world of work has been around for a long time now. But at some stage, you do see somebody who's got some line responsibility for your development and for your role and from your, for your management. But there's people who haven't met their boss, you know, um, even though they're working happily for a year in the business. Yeah. And, it, you know, the, the fact is the world of work is still relational and it, it's easy to, to lose sight of that. Mm. And, and coming back to that, the team culture thing that also obviously comes down to an individual level as well um you know different individuals will have different ways that they're comfortable working with technology or or not um and so it's integrating all of those things but that interesting thing about being intentional about it is also giving people clarity of what's expected makes things a lot more comfortable yeah. Um, yeah, we have cameras off because that's what we do. Because as an organisation, we respect people's privacy and we don't want to shoot. That might be the culture. If everyone knows that's what it is, yeah. you, you feel safe doing that thing. Conversely, it might be, yeah, we do have our cameras on because we want to connect, but we respect people's privacy and we're not going to make comment around what's in the background and we accept that people have got mm. a family knife and the kids might wander in the background. Mm. And that's okay. But, but making that part of the culture that people understand... It's like, not only is this how we do things, these are the things that are okay. And by the way, these are the things that are not okay as well sometimes. Makes the working environment a lot more comfortable for people to to be able to show up and be at their best. Yeah. But there definitely is having to be a lot more intentional about stuff Mm. um, and being more intentional about the communication because so much of it in an office happens by default. Mm. We watch and see how people behave. And it's very noticeable to me that organisations have lost that bit of cultural transmission yes in the remote world where it needs to be more explicit absolutely in terms of this is how how we do things and this is why absolutely and you know you and i've walked around floors and, and worked with organizations where you know subtle subtle uh, signals were there if somebody had a, he- a headphone on and they were in uh, in one of the it departments you knew that they were writing code or you knew they were in deep work and you knew that you didn't tap them on the shoulder because they had their headset on. And when their headset comes off, they're available. You know, um, uh, you don't have that subtle signal when you're um, working with people who might be in an office and people who might be working elsewhere. You don't have that. So... That's why I think, you know, sort of um, when you are and, and by visible, I don't just mean the video on video off, by the way. I mean, I mean, you're, you're intentionally visible and you're, you're intentionally engaged at what you're engaged in uh, with your people. And they know that there's nothing else is going to get in the way. So if there's a meeting, they know that no one is doing email in that meeting, <laughs> for example, just because they can, you know, um, so. Yeah, we've got to find a well. You know, obviously, you can find a way to to sort of replace those subtle signals and still have still engender this sense of belonging and do that through appropriate, you know, me to we use of technology. You know, where we all understand what it is. Um, so that's that's a. I think that's an area that I think companies companies who embrace that as as a. Because I always work from principles first, and you know, I'm sure that everybody who's listening to this right now in a leadership role knows that you know, principles first, sort of purpose second, maybe 
strategy and, and then and then how we do it and then what tools we use down the end of the line all right um but it is really important i think for 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 us to focus on first principles around stuff and then how can we how can we how can we sort of support our, our purpose and how can we support our culture through the technology that we're invested in to actually make that thing a living breathing reality even when people are working away from a central office at the moment it's amazing how much technology right now pushes against that i'm just taking a simple thing about <laughs> visibility and it's so messaging is such a blunt tool aside oh. from missing prosody and we, we had a, we had an interesting communication incident yesterday about somebody had made a comment which was slightly tongue-in-cheek and somebody had read that as not gone off done some investigation and come back with a sense of where it was like a rhetorical answer of like yeah what size problem is this as a, as a you know checking comment which attended to you know going off and, and looking at coming back well i think it's this size effort it's like no no that comment was like we know this is a big problem we need to go fix it you can lose those things you can lose it in a heartbeat it's it is and and, and unless we're conscious of that these little things happen all the time long and and then it compromises the culture. So, so somebody said to me a while back. He said, he said, back in the day, Richard, we used to uh, we used to sort of talk the talk, right? And then we got smarter and we used to walk the talk. And he says the problem now is that we're writing the talk, <laughs> and and like sometimes we're writing the talk in a way that we know what we're saying, but the receiver doesn't really know, and they take something that could be tongue in cheek as being a slight or a criticism, or something else, and we don't know. Yeah. And we don't know until it's too late. It's already out there now. We can't take it back. You know, it's in, that, it's in that Teams chat. It's in that text message. It's in that WhatsApp group. You know, it's in that email, and it's there. And then you've got to backtrack, and, and that's only if you know that it's been badly received. So I think, I think we've got to be much more careful around how we use technology just because it's easy and culture culture can be quite fragile yeah as i say culture is breakable I think. it's breakable and and what you, what we don't want is is lots of lots of probably accidental compromises and those accidental compromises um happen when we don't agree and don't culturalize for this new sort of flexible working world of work and essentially there is this perspective that culture is this global thing and there's a degree to which that is is true and that culture is a you know a, a top-down thing you get into an organization you, the culture washes over you become part of that but there's also an aspect where culture emerges from the micro moments the micro decisions in an organization and that becomes the culture and you know, going back to the message example, it, it has been so shattering. I mean, a message comes in on chat now, and then, you know, I think about even for me, where I think we have a reasonable handle on these things. We're still learning, but, you know, it's a technology and culture is our day job, so we hope that we manage to be reasonably performant at it. Something comes in on Teams. Is that a, uh, hey, uh, it, we've got this thing that he's doing in three weeks' time. Can you just take a look over this and give me your thoughts on it? Is it a, oh, wow, you know, one of the organisations, something's just hit the media, they're, they're battling a really difficult issue. 
we've got the chairman on the phone right now. Can we get you know, a team together and get on this thing or this server's down or this thing's broken? Or is it, uh, yeah, hey, I just kind of wanted to say hello because I you know, realised we haven't spoken for a bit and it's feeling a bit quiet here and I'm feeling a bit disconnected. Mm. But everything comes in as that little number in a circle yeah. in the corner of a, of a box. And for, for a lot of organisations, it's coming in, it's like it's in Teams and it's in an inbox and it's in the 14 Slack channels they've got with different customers. And it's coming from the trouble ticketing system as well, which, by the way, seems to be a place where sometimes people record that the tea and biscuits have arrived. Yeah. Um, and I've got just this in-tray of alerts and all these numbers and circles and trying to decide what, what, what do I do right now? And, and then, and you know, definitely into my world now and that stuff but that that sort of overload and um yeah and and i think part of part of the part of the cause of that overload is because we haven't made it clear what it what is appropriate uh, what channels are appropriate we haven't even made in some organizations i mean not all but in some organizations we haven't even made it clear um, sort of what constitutes a real escalation where you can, where you, what you've got trumps everything else that everyone's got. Because unless there's clarity around that, then of course everything is going to be urgent and important. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, you know, that's just the natural law. So, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy as just giving people um, a piece of hardware, a bunch of apps, and let them get on with it, you know. It never was, by the way, but it's even more so, you know, difficult. People, get, people get to experience and see the damage and the impact much more clearly now. Although, interestingly, not all organisations do. And you know, some of the work we've been doing is helping people understand well, what, what has the impact on your culture been, what do you need to shift and change, and also noticing that some teams have got this right. Some yeah. leaders have got, they've really got this thing. Others have not. But also, some of those learnings are transferable into the different microcultures you've got, and some of them aren't. Yeah. And it's really understanding that, that map, but it does come down to that minute-to-minute -minute activity for, for the employee and the individual, yeah. and how do, you, how do you choose what to do next? Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, there's, there's, always going to be, there's always going to be a challenge between what we think we need to do and what other people think we need to do right now. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, I, I used to say that, I used to say that um, if you've got competing priorities, you're lucky <laughs> because, because really these days, you know, a competing priority is just something you've got to manage. That's it, right? Uh, the challenge comes with a conflicting priority. Um, where where the decision isn't as easy and there are implication deeper implications around our decision about what do we defend and what do we sacrifice and it does come down to defending and sacrificing you know and, and I I advocate that you know there are some things that we do need to defend and the team needs to know that if I'm in that defend mode I am in that defend mode and Nothing is going to compromise that. <laughs> I mean, and I say nothing, you know, maybe something might. But, and it is a but, you know, if it's defend, then it's defend. And if it's defend in a group calendar, it's defend. And we respect that and we expect then that our decision to defend and to carve out some time will be respected by the team. Obviously, if the world's falling down, 
then someone will have to sort of reach out uh, in some way and say, the world's falling down, forget it, and just enjoy the last 10 minutes of your life. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Otherwise, I mean, let's get some, let's get some culturalization around, you know, what, you know, Cal Newport again with his deep work, but um, get some culturalization around what is, what does a defended piece of time in a calendar mean? Not just for the person who's doing it, but for everybody else. Yeah. And how, the, again, it's always a learning for me, moving back in the last few years, back into a bit of where I'm doing hands-on software developments again, and being back in that world, for example, that, that is a real deep work world. It, it takes you, you know, if I'm working with a piece of, of AI software, yeah, it probably takes me an hour to get in the headspace of, the, okay, this is how this works. These are all the parameters. This is the problem we're trying to solve. And build. So somebody booking a half-hour meeting in the middle of an afternoon, that's cost me half a day yeah. um, because that I can't get to that deep work point. Conversely, people blocking, you know, oh, I'm just going to do this two-hour discussion about this thing for me when I'm in CEO mode, I'm working in five-minute, 50-minute time slices looking for the quick hits of let's make some decisions, let's move this along, next decision, next thing, move along. And those are quite different, mutually incompatible modes, but helping people navigate that in a world where they can't see, oh, you know, he looks a bit, a bit annoyed right now, or he looks like he's really concentrating on something, or she looks like she's not really interruptible. Mm. You don't have those signals when you're sending somebody a meeting in no, the no. No, and and you certainly, you certainly don't have them uh, when you're, uh, say, sending a WhatsApp message through a group because you you haven't got sight of their visibility, um, in whatever sort of office app applications they're using. You know, all you know is you've got you've got the WhatsApp, you've got the group, you've got the message, and you hit send. You know, and it's, it's interesting just those subtle little features. Things like you know, Slack does its message threading in it's quite a different way to Microsoft Teams. And it sounds like a small thing, but that actually ripples up into culture mm, yeah. and how people, you know, with Teams, like, well, stuff runs past and it might have been in that team group chat, but that doesn't mean that everybody's read it oh. versus an expectation of, well, it was in that thread that got marked as priority and we take it as a given that people read that. It's a subtle thing where the technology has changed the culture mm. that then impacts on and, you know, even people's stress levels. And mm. again, that's one of the things we're seeing now where you have that lack of clarity and people having to make judgment calls. That's stress. Yeah, We've totally. got something we don't have control over anymore. Totally. And, and, you know, the whole, the whole thing with stress, as, as you know, and as you've just alluded to, stress is really, I mean, it might be, it might be the work environment, it might be the workload, it, it could be a number of things, but essentially, at its core, I think that stress is just a sense of feeling out of control. And some people can eat loads of work and not feel overworked, and somebody else would have would feel overworked with that volume. Uh, the difference is that the person who can eat all that work feels in control of it. So, so it's when you get that sense of feeling out of control that the stress levels sort of go up. I can't take it anymore. Uh, goes up uh, and. Again, those subtle signals aren't, aren't always there when people are working away from an office. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You know, we don't know what's, what's really happening beyond the screen. And how quantifiable work is, is 
an interesting thing. I, I remember starting my journey looking at the world of work and one of the analogies was that a lot of traditional work was what, what the, the author, and I forget whether it was Kavi or who it was now, but the idea of um, the plough field. So when if you did that kind of work, you knew, well, you know, on average, uh, you know, this hectareage, I will plough a field of that size in a day and I should be done by three or a slightly bigger field, I'll take down by four. Mm. And so I can quantify the work. I know how long it should reasonably take for somebody who's performance. And at the end of the day, I can look back and I can see the ploughed field. Yes. I'm that, <laughs> that's a distant memory. And the world of knowledge work, because work's very difficult to quantify. It's very difficult to quantify how long it should reasonably take. And it's very difficult to know if you even got the thing done at the end of the doing. And um, you used a, f- a phrase, uh, what was it? Um, a job and a half, was that? Oh, yeah. So, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I'm firmly convinced, and, and certainly with the people I work with, I'm firmly convinced that everybody with a half-decent job has got a job and a half to do every day. That was the one. Yeah. And, and even if they haven't got a job and a half to do, it feels like they have. And, you know, the, there's a number of reasons for that. It's not, it's not that companies are over-demanding. I think it's, it's like this ploughed field. It's the visibility. So, so when, I, when I sort of do my sort of welding purpose to priority stuff, the very tactical, you know, how, do we, how do we sort of manage the ridiculousness of a busyness day? Um, I, I ask people, you know, something even very simple, like how many to-do lists are you operating from at the moment? And they can come up and they say, I'm in these Slack teams, I, I'm, in, I'm in these sort of, uh, in, in project, I, I'm in these projects, I, I've, got, I've got a list for this and I've got a list for that. And I say, well, it, and uh, most people have got more to-do lists than they care to articulate. And it's very interesting, quite a few people think, say in, in, in a workshop uh, or a web shop, they say, I've only got two lists. I've got my personal list and I've got my business list. And then the question is, obviously, you're smiling. Then the question is, okay, so where's all your commitments from the last three Teams meetings that you attended this morning? Because if they're still in chat or in your memory or on a piece of paper and they're not in one single source of truth somewhere, then you've got two or three to-do lists there. If you've got opened emails or unopened emails, if you've got emails marked as unread, or if you've got a whole pile of WhatsApp messages you haven't looked at yet, they're potentially items on a to-do list that you haven't got in a single source of truth yet. 36 tabs open in your browser. 36 <laughs> tabs open in your browser. I mean, you haven't got. So, so I, think there's a, I think there's a real challenge. And, and you know, most good people do struggle with this stuff, even, even seasoned, experienced people, uh, unless they've got you know, a great sort of, process or habit or behavior around this stuff or unless they've got some appropriate support most people haven't got the appropriate support they're engaged mm. to do stuff and the doing of the of the stuff um, can sometimes feel overwhelming they get it done but they get it done by the skin of their teeth they get it done just in time and it's a wipe of the brow and few and they still get up next morning and go into work and do it all again they're great people it's just that Sometimes they're default driving the software. Sometimes what they want to get done, you know, is hijacked by the understandable imperatives from other sources. But it always amazes me. For example, it always amazes me that people haven't got explicitly what they've got to defend against all incoming 
attacks that will happen at eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning. They haven't got, they haven't got that. They might have it in their head. They might have it in their heart. They might be feeling excited or fearful when they get to work, wherever that is, but they haven't got it explicit. And the first thing they do is they open up their email and they sort of get into look at their chats and everything else. And before they know it, they're doing stuff that's completely moved that imperative out of their head because they haven't got a structure or the structure they're using. They're using different, different things. They haven't got bringing things together into one single source of truth where they can say, this is what I got. I got these meetings. I got these things I must do. The others I'll try and do. And within that, I can take on all comers and I can say yes or no or date something that comes into me. But I know what I need. I know what I told myself I need to do today <laughs> because it's there in front of me. And I think, you know, it's a very simple thing, but that's, that's what a lot of people are missing. Most people don't know how many to-do lists they got. And most people don't know how much work in progress they got. Now, Accountants and uh, would know work in progress because it's one of the things they measure. But most of the people who are doing really good stuff, they don't know how many incompletions, how many expectations, how many commitments from others, um, how many commitments they've made to others. They haven't got all that in one place. They've got it in too many apps, <laughs> too many places, and in their memory bank. So you've, you've given some hints to the, the question that I was going to ask next, which is, so where, and particularly as a leader, where do you help people start with the job and a half? Where, where do you start with helping with that problem and helping that problem go away so you can have employees who can work in a sustainable fashion, who aren't going to burn out, who can come and bring them like full cells to work um, and leave leave happy and fulfilled at the end of the day oh that's a massive question <laughs> that's a massive question um and um yeah that's a big question that we're we're sort of we're throwing at each other now sort of 40 minutes in um and um if i was to sort of put a meta tag around it um i'd say that it all comes down to um understanding um the reason why we're there so shorthand for that is purpose. So, you know, purpose can be a capital P purpose, you know, the thing that we think we're here for, um, sort of outside of work and, and in our lives. Um, and it could be a small P purpose, you know, the purpose of the day, the purpose of uh, this meeting, the purpose of the phone call I'm going to dial into in five minutes time. Uh, so I think it comes down to... Um, the leadership engendering that sense of purpose within within for themselves obviously and within their team and uh, once people know why they're there beyond just the kpi and beyond just the target right once they know how they contribute to that you know how what they do contributes to the overall arc if you will then and, the, and, and they've got some sort of approach that will, and some visibility, you know, intentional visibility uh, with software. Um, once they know what everyone else is looking to do, and once we know that we're aligned, uh, one of my clients uses a, a wonderful phrase, and he, he calls it extreme ownership. Mm. 
So, and I, and I was saying to, they're a great business. I mean, really great business. Uh, and, and, and this guy is, he is a man uh, and he is absolutely, he is top notch. And one of his things, he says, you know, we want to encourage extreme ownership. And so that means that everything, whether it's just stuff that we own explicitly or stuff that we are responsible for because other people own it and it hasn't been delivered. So extreme ownership means that every individual takes responsibility for what everyone else is about. And I thought, how does that work? And he started to talk to me about what they do uh, about extreme ownership. And I thought, you know what? That's really cool. But I think it all does come to that sense of purpose. Uh, and then people having that sense of purpose, whether it's a capital P thing uh, or whether it's you know the purpose of the next phone call. What do I deliberately want to get from this next conversation? What do I deliberately want to get from this meeting? How then can I make sure that if I have said that I will, in, the, in a Teams meeting, for example, if I've said you will have something on your desk on Thursday, you know, taking that commitment and making it explicit and evaluating that commitment again against everything else that's going to happen between now and Thursday, you know, and everyone takes ownership of that. So there's no, there's, there's no one um, off menu and menu means, you know, the software, the package, the environment that we're working with because everyone knows what everyone is doing more or less. I remember back in the day when Microsoft calendars started to be shared <laughs> and I remember this is a, a, a woman said to me in a training program she said she put a meeting in my calendar can you imagine the audacity of putting a meeting in my calendar <laughs> and at that moment I thought you know software is different to having your own your own diary yeah software is collaborative <laughs> You know, so how do we how, how do we how do we make collaboration an easier, more visible, open sort of system founded on culture, but then everybody sort of working together. Sort of, it's principle ten in 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 my welding purpose to priorities thing. Migrating from me to we. How do we work as an us more effectively within the constraints and the opportunities created by our mission and by the software that we choose to enable that mission and not have it as something separate to the business mission. Oh, things to talk about. See, I was teasing a bit. I, mean, I feel there's Richard Mabry episode two uh, <laughs> around purpose, which we will definitely come back to in a future podcast if I can pin you down again. Um, but it's also interesting to hear really clearly how what leaders do and what the leadership does how closely linked that is to the minute by minute of even the newest employee in an organization that these are connected problems not disconnected problems and if you are somebody who is helping or serving a leader supporting them in getting that right and doing that is one of the biggest differences that you can make for them is if they're not in that mindset, helping them to understand the power and responsibility of that, that mm. how culture impacts on the minute to minute and the minute to minute impacts on culture. And if they do understand that already, which most good leaders do, how you can bring them 
the, the tools, the information, the accurate map that helps them make the right calls around making the right calls mm. and that stuff is what transforms an organization mm. and helps it not just not just survive but thrive and, yeah. and grow mm. well it's been a pleasure having you here i'm gonna leave with the thing that i always do and i'll buy you some time on this one i always ask is there a question that i haven't asked you that i should have done or oh. you really wish that i should have done and i'm going to because that's always a surprise to our, our guests because we're kind of new in this series and I'm going to lose the thrill and the excitement of that being a surprise question as we go on and people cheat and listen to, they'll be able to listen to episodes beforehand. But it's always a thing that we like to do is, is, is kind of round up with, well, what, what did we miss here? What have we not asked that's the important thing? Okay, I think, and this is hard, right? Anybody else who's going to do this, this is a hard thing to answer. Um, so... I think there's a challenge as well in in business uh, that just because we've worked hard on a culture and we nurture a culture and you know it's, it is a differentiator for us and it's important for us and we're known for it even with that there is inevitably going to be some sort of compromise between the culture that we're espousing and we're looking to nurture and support within the business and you know based upon purpose and based upon sort of you know behaviors and expectations there is also going to be that sense of purpose that is within each and every single person who works within the business so and it is a big question how because we can't expect people who are in our employ to just become clean slates and uh, absorb our corporate culture, our business culture. That's not going to happen. How can we make sure that the people who we've got are purposeful in themselves and their own lives and their career development, as well as absorbing and supporting the culture that we're trying to uh, build within the business? Because you have to live in those two worlds as well. I love that. You've hit upon two of my favourite things at the moment, which are definitely things that in future I want to drill down on. I think one is what I call the credibility gap and that there are organisations out there who are espousing a culture that's very different from the culture. And it's like brand and marketing. If you tell people this is how we are and you get them in on that basis and that's not how you are, they won't stay. And if they do stay, they'll wreck the ship. Um, the other one is this thing that there, there is a misunderstanding sometimes that having a strong corporate culture means an environment of clones. And that does happen. And you get these almost like cultish environments. And I come from the tech world where that was definitely a thing. But actually real culture is incredibly diverse. Yes. And that singular purpose doesn't mean that, that everyone is the same. It can be and should be an incredibly diverse set of viewpoints, which is healthy different set of historical perspectives, the more of that you can bring into your organisation, the richer your culture is. It's not dilutive, mm. it's actually strengthening if you're doing yeah. this stuff right. That's a whole other one. Yeah, yeah no, that is, that is, uh, that's, that's a very exciting and interesting area to sort of explore. Yeah. It's great that businesses are thinking about it now, and I think mm. for me that's one of the, the shifts of the last few years is people are a lot more conscious around 
what is that culture? How do we treat people? Which that's a good thing. I hope, I think, I'm pretty sure. And it's been a real pleasure to have you here today to talk about that. We will add in the show notes. There will be links so you can go and find out how to find Richard and the things he's written and the things that uh, he's involved in, which is many and varied as you will discover. Uh, thank you to the login team for letting us use this space. And it's been a, a real kind of cultural thing. You've probably heard maybe in the background, like coffee being made and people moving around. There's stuff happening here. Uh, so I'm going to go and dive into that. Uh, and get the workday done. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, Richard. And My we great. will speak to you again soon. My great pleasure, Benjamin, as always. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. If you aren't already subscribed, then search for Social Optic Work Together on your favourite podcast service. And if you found it helpful, then don't forget to help others find the podcast by giving it a rating, leaving a review, and telling others about the show. You can find more from Social Optic on our website, socialoptic.com, where we also post blogs exploring more of the themes we discuss on the podcasts. You can also get in touch through the chat function there, or drop us an email, or give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast was hosted by Benjamin Ellis and produced by me, Chris Trim. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode.